Eve service. Let me pray for us and we'll jump into 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, Father, thanks uh, for who you are. Thanks for this text. Um, it is, it's pretty simple, honestly. We see it on shirts and coffee mugs and quoted pretty often, but it's wildly dense. And, um, and that's encouraging for us because we recognize there's things that we still don't fully understand. We understand maybe in part. And so we need some help now to illuminate the text for us to see it rightly. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the, the verse specifically we're going to hone in on is verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, before we get there, last week what we talked about was this bizarre idea that as humans, uh, we will one day die, but we're going to go from life to life. We're going to be with the Lord in heaven, but then at one point we'll receive a resurrected body and we will spend eternity on this earth that has been remade or renewed uh, according to 2 Peter 3, right? It's going to be purified by fire, restored, and we will spend eternity here on this earth. Now, if that's confusing for you, you grew up a Christian, you never heard any of that, that's okay. You can listen to last week or ask me any questions that you have. But what this did as is it we kind of pondered our own mortality and made, I think, us um, cover a bunch of verses that we had to skim over and not dive into. And that's why we got the verses that we have. So I want to step back and just bring up a simple idea to you, okay? Um, there's something fascinating about uh, humanity that's different than all other creatures in the universe. In that, according to scripture, um, you have angels who were created, okay? And they will live forever. But the thing about angels is they don't continue to reproduce. Meaning right now there's not more, there's not a little baby angel being born today. The angels that were made are made and they will live forever, okay? So there's a set number of angels that will live forever, you may not, not like this next part, and I'm not saying I'm right, but it's possible. I believe it is, but don't get angry. Animals, on the other hand, continue to produce, and I would contend, I love you, and I'm not saying I'm right, but animals will not be on the new earth forever. They do not live forever, okay? So I get it. You love Frodo. I get it, okay? But at some point, just recognize, if I'm right, the idea that angels don't reproduce and live forever and animals do reproduce, meaning they're being created, little puppies and kittens are being created all over the world right now, okay? But they won't live forever, okay? And so, again, if you're really upset about this conversation on all dogs going to heaven, just we can talk afterwards, okay? But what I want you to hear is the uniqueness of man, okay? The uniqueness of the fact that man is being reproduced, like little babies are being born all over the world right now, and man lives forever, Okay? That's a crazy idea. That's a crazy idea that a human being can come into existence and can continue to come into to existence. New humans can come into existence. And in that moment, eternity is affected forever because now that new being comes into existence. It's a bizarre idea. Now, the reason I bring this up is because humanity has never had the opportunity afforded it. We've never, we have this plight upon us that we don't get to look back before we are born to see what it's like to live by sight. We've always been in a position as believers, whoever chooses to follow God, to live by faith. So for example, you know, as I'm getting older, um, I don't know why, and I hate that it's happening, but I cannot sleep. For some reason, either 2, 3, 4 a.m., I wake up and I'm up for like two hours. It's so frustrating. And I don't know why it's happening, and it is what it is. But because of that, I'll go two or three days like that, and then on about the fourth day, my body's like, hey, we're done. We're just going to sleep, right? And I'll just crash real hard. Inevitably, when I crash really hard and sleep really hard like that, I don't know this. My wife informs me of this. I tend to talk a lot in my sleep. 
tend to move around a lot in my sleep. There have been moments where I thought a spider was on Candace and I, and she woke me up and I was ready to strike her. I'm not even kidding. Real story. Um, okay. I'm like, what's happening right now? Um, now I remember that, but, uh, this Thursday, my body hit a point where I was just tired again. And apparently Monday through Wednesday, I didn't sleep strong enough. And so I don't know this. I didn't know this happened until my wife informed me the next day that this happened. Please don't call CPS. Apparently, Anna, our youngest daughter, who's four, um, got, um, got scared and left her room and came into our room. And so she came into our room and I grabbed her by her shoulders and I go, who are you? Who are you? Okay. And I was shaking her and she's weeping loudly, freaking out why her father is shaking her violently, wondering who she is. Candace turns on the light. I see who she is. and goes, oh, hi, baby. Come here. Let's snuggle. Okay. Now, I do not remember this at all. Candace, the next day, informs me. Anna apparently remembered. Okay, we're storing away for counseling for her. Okay. Now, now here's the thing. If you were able to like dive into my brain, maybe at a subconscious level, you could get me to remember that. EMDR or something. You could get me to remember that moment. But no, I don't remember it. That I did that. That was a very real thing that I did. But I have no conscious remembrance of it at all. Okay. Hear me, that's how Eastern religions process things, that you have a consciousness beyond your state now. We do not believe that as Christians, okay? Meaning we don't have at one moment where with God, oh, this is how it's done. Okay, I see, I see. Okay, I'm gonna go down to heaven now and I'm gonna go walk this out. That's not something that happens, okay? That's not how we operate. So we are forced to, as believers, live by faith, never even knowing what it means to live by sight. This is wild. This is wild. And it leads us to our text. Verse seven, as I just said, the most important word in here, ironically, is a word that we would skip over. It's the first word for. In Greek, it's gar. Now, the word gar in Greek, if it's in a certain case, you're supposed to do this with this word. If it's in another case, you're supposed to do this with this word. Well, in this case, well, in this situation, it's in a genitive case, which means we're supposed to see verse seven or whatever's after that word for as an A-B construct. In its simplest form, what I mean by that is we can only understand verse seven because we have verse six. So we have, so, so it's going, this is true because or for this. Okay. This is how it ties it together. So we've got to understand for us to get, uh, verse seven, we've got to understand verse six. And for us to understand verse six, I want to read it. It says this. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Now, what's interesting as we read this first part, it seems almost that you and I as believers are to detach ourselves from our bodies. We're almost to communicate in a way that, if you notice, read it real closely. Look at the we's in the text there. It says, we, so here I am, I'm at home in the body, okay? Now, you can almost argue, let's say, let's, let's make a modern idea of this. I right now am in this building, but later I will be in my home. The, the, the underlining tone is I, me, am in this building now. Later, I, me, will be in another home. I will be in another building. It seems to separate us to say you are separate from being in your body, but that's not the case, okay? And I'll explain that in a second, but I want you to see that we here exist inside our body. What it's communicating now is one day we will exist, and it seems to uh, contrast our body as to being with the Lord. Now, um, the reason I would say that it's not we're away from our body is verse 7. And that's why these this unit is very important together. For we walk by faith. Now, this word walk um, is obviously a euphemism. And you can probably tell me what the euphemism is. But everywhere in the New Testament, it should be seen as this. It's the word live. Everywhere in the New Testament, we live by faith. 
Now, hear me. Nobody in here says, I'm going to go for a walk right now and then just stands there. Okay. And then afterwards, like, did you go for the walk? Yeah, I went for the walk. No, because when you say you walk and you said you went for a walk, the only way to walk is to use your body. And the New Testament is picking up on an idea that right now you in your body, according to Romans 12, are living out this sacrifice, this sacrifice in your body, meaning uh, the way that you look at paper on the page to read, the way that you discipline your body to fast, the way that you open your mouth to speak the gospel. These are all acts. These are all motions to live by faith inside your body. You are within your body. And it says this, we walk by faith, okay? There's a lot to cover, so I promise we're gonna put all this together. That faith there, let's continue to define these words. We use the word faith in in, uh, kind of Christian vernacular in three ways. Number one, there's a saving faith. This is uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You've been saved by grace through faith, right? There's a saving faith we use it to have believe on, have faith in Jesus Christ. We use faith sometimes tied to reason. This is uh, the idea of faith and reason. You see this in James 2, that even the demons believe and tremble. That word believe is the same word faith there, pistis. It's the idea that the demons believe that this is true. But that's, I don't think either way, this is uh, that's what it's supposed to be used. There's a third kind of way that we use the word faith uh, in a kind of our Christian circles. And it's the idea of how we walk out what we believe. Meaning, um, we have a faith, according to Matthew 6, to store up treasures in heaven. As I said, you don't get to, at one point in your past life, look at God and be like, oh, okay, this is what it means to store up treasures. Okay, I get it. I'm going to go down there and do this now. That's not what we have. We are forced as believers to trust, believe on, have faith that there is a place somewhere that treasures are being stored up based on the way that we live in our body. This is a Hebrews chapter 11. This is what Jesus calls his disciples to over and over and over, to believe on him, to believe on him, to trust him. It's not just a saving faith and it's not just a faith tied to reason, but it is a life, a lived out faith, which is kind of bizarre and kind of crazy. Now this leads us to Jesus as uh, uh, we look at this, for we live by faith and not by sight. Uh, it, it made um, me pause. And the reason I wanted to come back to this in our text last week is every commentary that I read and every systematic theology that I picked up in in accordance to this text pointed to uh, the incarnation, which I thought was fascinating, okay? Now, everything I just said, let's pause for a second and let's come back to it because verse seven will be explained and we'll see this. So there's a ton of theology um, with this idea, what we're gonna celebrate on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. As believers, if you're not a believer, you don't believe this, it's okay, but here's what we believe. We believe God, the creator of the universe, He came to earth and he became a man. Now take what we talked about before and understand the uniqueness of Jesus that's different, not just from animals, different, not just than angels, but he's different even from mankind himself in that men did not exist. They came into being and they will always exist. Animals did not exist, came into being, and I would contend will not always exist. Angels did not exist, came into being and will always exist. Jesus always existed, became flesh, and will always exist. This is a very unique posture for us to have to look at Jesus for a a few different reasons. One of which is um, when we are called to live by faith, that doesn't mean we're not called to live um, blindly in that we don't know what we're supposed to do. We're to have faith in something. And this is what's beautiful about Jesus coming to the earth. He doesn't come just to save our souls. Yes and amen. He doesn't come just to heal the blind. Yes and amen. He doesn't just come to give food to the hungry. Yes and amen. He comes as an example. So here's, here's what, here's why the incarnation matters for us. We are to live by faith, trusting. And this is crazy. 
We trust that everything Jesus says is true. All of his philosophies, all of his ideas, we are copying, we are modeling our life off of the man Jesus. Because check this out, he did get to look around. He's, he saw it all, him being the creator of all things, sees it all and goes, this is what it looks like. I'm gonna go down there and reflect that kind of lifestyle. And so we, we have this faith in, in Jesus Christ to trust, yes and amen, and we don't always get to see it like the rope that was tied to the tree. We don't always get to see it, but the reality is that doesn't mean we're blind in who we're, who we're following. It doesn't mean we're blinded how we're to act. We're to follow the man, Jesus Christ. Now, uh, there's a, a verse that I wanna uh, read here in a second. Uh, actually, let me read it now. It's from John 5, because I want you to see that Jesus, in this example of, of faith, I don't have it on the screen for you. This is exactly what he does. John 5, verses 18 and 19. Uh, It starts with this. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. If you've ever had a Jehovah's Witness come to the door, I would encourage you to write down John chapter 5, verse 18, um, because it is always helpful to have. um, Because what it just said was, the the reason the Jews were trying to kill Jesus is because he was making himself equal with God. Okay, Um, But with that idea, Jesus being equal with God, then listen to this. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Jesus says, even though he is equal with God, he is obedient, this garden of Gethsemane, in a way that he relies on his father. Hear me, this is why the incarnation turns this whole idea on its head. We've always been forced to live by faith and not by sight as believers. Jesus sees by sight, and chooses to come live by faith. He enters into our plight as a high priest and relies on the Father to do something. This is, this is really, really good news for us. So let me leave it there, but leave you with a quote from Augustine. If you don't know who Augustine is, I would encourage you to look him up. He's a church father um, from the third century, third and fourth century. Um, it says this, what greater mercy is there than this, which caused to descend from heaven the maker of heaven, which reclothed with an earthly body the one who formed the earth, which made equal to us the one who from eternity is equal uh, equal of the Father, which imposed the form of a servant on the master of the world, such that the bread of life itself was hungry, fullness itself was thirsty, power itself made weak, health itself was wounded, life itself was mortal, and so that our hunger would be satisfied, that our dryness would be watered, our weakness supported, our love ignited. What greater mercy than which presents to us the creator created, the master made a slave, the redeemer sold, the one who exalts humbled, the one who raises the dead killed. Jesus comes and lives this very real life as an example for us to follow. He he um, ends up taking on the frustration that you and I have that goes, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I believe to be true. Here's what I, I think should happen. And he goes, I can experience that. I'll experience that. Let me show you what it looks like in Gethsemane. Lord, I want this to happen. This is what I think is true. This is what I believe should happen, but not my will, your will be done. He comes taking on to give us an example of what it means to live by faith and not by sight. And so, um, when I thought of Christmas, and the reason I thought this passage would be good, it, again, I did not mean to tie this to Christmas. Every all the, all the commentaries and the systematic theologies that I read through this uh, all mention the incarnation, and I think um, wisely so in pointing to Jesus for a reason. Um, and one of the things that I think it does is because Christmas is the most overtly um, hyped posture of living by sight. I mean, the reality is um, all the senses... 
Um, everything you'd want to experience, all the trinkets, all the toys, whether for your children or for yourself, are put in front of you, beckoning you to live by sight. Beckoning you to live according to your emotions. Beckoning you to live according because you do you. You get what you want. Now, I'm not going to come up here and try to be the Grinch, like breathe. But what I do want you to hear is what Christmas does is worth challenging for a moment. Mike Goheen says it well. He says that um, if America chose to stop celebrating Christmas one year, the world economy would collapse, okay? Literally, and I know that's not like a, a joke, quite literally, the world economy um, is contingent on American consumerism around the holidays. And so that, that screams something in our face to go, that's worth addressing. Why is it this way? What, what should we do with this? And, and here's two words that I want you to be aware of that come from Colossians 2. Because in Christmas, what's tending to happen as we move away from the kingdom and, and, and the king, we tend to hold really tightly to shadows. And what we, we let go of is we let go of the substance. And I just want to remind you to live by faith and not by sight. To live by faith is to grab on and to live according to the substance, even though you can't see it. But to live into the where, uh, the American Western idea of, of Christianity and Christmas is to hold on to a shadow. It's something that's fleeting. It's something that will not satisfy you. This is, uh, comes from Colossians chapter 2. Listen to this. He says this, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, and with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. There are, they, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about the visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding to the fat, uh, not holding fast to the head, which which whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. His point is this: there was a moment where believers, Jews, who are following God, did these things. They practiced these religious. Uh, 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 festivals and moons. They did all of the right religious things. And Paul calls it out. He says, you're doing all of these things, but you forgot why you do them. And so what you do is you hold on to the shadow. You're forgetting behind all of this facade. The reason you're doing it is the substance. And I couldn't help but think of Christmas. Believers, I'm not trying to take away our joy. I'm reminding you whether this holiday season sucks for you or whether it's great, whether you're super excited for it to, 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 for your kids to open up presents or whether you're really sad because you lost a family member and this is going to be a tough season for you. What the substance does is remind you that you're not living by sight. These things are fleeting, both the pain and the joy. These things are fleeting. There's a substance to hold on to. This is such good news found in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. My man, Matt Chandler, I think says it really well when he says this. He says, the Christmas blues and the Christmas hangover both happen. I've had a lot of quotes. I'm just realizing this right now. Um, both happen when unbridled expectations slam into reality. They happen anytime we build up expectations for something that can't possibly be met. We have plenty uh, of help building these expectations. Radio, television, Pinterest, people's perfectly filtered Instagram posts all feed our um, uh, inflated idea of what the Christmas holiday can deliver. They paint the picture that our loneliness will be turned into joy and that the gift we want so badly will ultimately satisfy. This is good. These expectations can't possibly be met. Sometimes the holidays don't bring families together or they bring families together just to let a grenade go off among them. Sometimes you can't get everything you want and sometimes you can get everything you want and still feel that nagging empty feeling, uh, that nagging feeling is still there. Sometimes the season is terribly lonely because you have lost a loved one. 
unbridled expectations slam into reality. I would encourage you to know that I'm not trying to like remove joy in four days. Hear me. I'm like trying to get it fulfilled. Like, like ultimately, these things are good gifts, but like the Jews who looked at the religious activities and like just tie, I mean, this is almost like a, a dot for dot tying it in. The gifts and the family and the meals and the laughter, they're so good. They're so good, but they're empty if they're just a shadow. They're hollow. They can't fulfill. And so what I'm trying to communicate is the incarnation gives those things life. And to live by faith and not by sight is to not see the things up ahead as the ultimate thing, but to see the one who gave you those good gifts as the ultimate thing. That's the substance. That's where real joy is. So let me finish with a quote from a man, Spurge. That's what I'm rocking, my Spurgeon Christmas sweater for you. Uh, uh, so this is what this, I, uh, my hope would be to read this quote for you so you would know as believers, I truly believe Christians should enjoy Christmas more than anyone else. We should enjoy the gifts more than anyone else. We should enjoy the, the, the well, I don't know if you go caroling, but if you do, that's kind of cool because I haven't heard that in a while. You should enjoy all the meals. You should enjoy the family time. You should watch your kids open up presents. It's so good, but it's, 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 it has no density without the substance. So, so with the substance, it gives us ultimate joy in these things. And so with that, I shout this with posture. Now, a happy Christmas to you all. It will be a happy Christmas if you have God with you. I shall say nothing today against festivities on this great birthday of Christ. And so let us keep the feast, not with old leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Do not live tomorrow as if you adored some heathen divinity. Feast, Christians, feast. You have a right to feast. Celebrate your Savior's birth. Do not be ashamed to be glad. You have a right to be happy. Christianity was never designed to make our pleasures less. It was never designed to make our pleasures less. Let's really celebrate Christmas for what it's all about. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we come to you a people that um, has been living by um, faith and not by sight. And that is very difficult. It's not easy to store away money. It's not easy to abstain until marriage. It's not easy to puff oneself up. It's not easy to... Uh, continue to walk paths of some new fad and philosophy. It's not easy to parent in the way that you call us to amidst a world that calls us to do it differently. It's just not easy. So here we are as a people of faith, living by faith, trusting that one day our faith will be a sight, according to 1 Peter 1, 9. But right now as we sit, we are a people who walk this out and we're really trusting you, Jesus. We really are. We put all of our eggs in that basket to go, all right, you've got us at the end. So uh, I pray now that as we go into the Christmas season, we would be reminded that this is another step of faith, uh, another step of faith to see the, the gifts, to see the family, the meals, all of it through the lens in which you want us to see it. We're grateful. We need you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.